Hi, I'm Margie Zarcone, co-creator of Standby for Places and director of this radio story adaptation of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. On behalf of all of us here at Standby for Places, happy holidays, and thank you for listening. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I have endure in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an ideal which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their house pleasantly and no one wish to lay it their faithful friend and servant. C.D. December 1843. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was considered good for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. In life, Marley had been business partners with a shrewd moneylender by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole friend, and sole mourner. So yes, there is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from the story at hand. Scrooge never even painted out Marley's name from the door. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes unwitting patrons would call Scrooge, Scrooge, or Marley. He answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, retching, grasping, scraping, covetous old sinner hard and sharp as a flint. The cold within him froze his features and stiffened his gait. Secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. His own low temperature swirled around him wherever he may be, especially his place of business, the counting house, where he could almost always be found. The abode never thawed a single degree, even at Christmas. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! cried the cheerful voice of Scrooge's only nephew. Bah! Humbug. This nephew of Scrooge's had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost that he was all aglow. His face was ruddy and handsome, his eyes sparkled, and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come now, what right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? (laughs) You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on spur of the moment, said, Bah! And followed it up with, Humbug! Don't be cross, uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Away with Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on their lips should be boiled with their own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through their heart. But, uncle... Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may do to you. Much good has it ever done for you. There are many things from which I have derived good by which I have not profited. Christmas among the rest. But I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when all people seem by one to consent to opening their hearts freely and to truly think of others as if they were fellow passengers to the grave. And though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good 
and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. The clerk involuntarily applauded, but upon immediately becoming aware of his impropriety, stopped altogether. Let me hear another sound from you and you'll keep your Christmas on the unemployment line. Don't be angry, uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Why? Why? Why did you ever get married? Because I fell in love. <laughs> because you fell in love. That is the only thing more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, uncle, but you never came to see me before I was married. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. Realizing his uncle's decision was absolute, Fred hung his offering on the door. An evergreen wreath adorned with a crimson bow. I am sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party. But I have come to give you good tidings of the season, that I'll keep my Christmas joy to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle, and a Happy New Year. And with that, Scrooge's only nephew spun on his heel to head back into the cold but not before bestowing the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, as cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. Bah! Humbug! Scrooge and Marley, I believe? Following his nephew's departure, a man and woman made themselves known to Scrooge. Rosy-cheeked and pleasant to behold, they fervently scanned their lists with watery eyes and gloved fingertips. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley's been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. Oh, may God rest his soul. Well, we have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. Smiled the woman presenting their credentials. At the ominous word, liberality. Scrooge frowned and shook his head as he handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? Well, yes, there are plenty of prisons. <laughs> and the union workhouses? Are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour then? Both very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I am very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some food, drink and means of warmth. We chose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt. And abundance rejoices! <clears throat> what shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough. And those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there and many would rather die. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, I wouldn't know anything about it. Well, you could know it, sir. It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly and I would appreciate it if you left me to it. Good afternoon. As the solicitors hastily departed, Scrooge's clerk, Bob Cratchit, gingerly approached. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose? Quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to withhold half a crown for the time lost, I take it you would consider yourself abused? The clerk smiled meekly. And yet, 
You don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only one day a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every December the 25th. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. Oh, yes, sir. I, I will. I certainly will. With one final growl, Scrooge departed, leaving Bob Cratchit and the bookkeepers to close up for Christmas. As Bob Cratchit walked through the winding cobblestone streets, he took in the joyful sights and sounds of the city. Carolers wassailing, children ice skating, and happy shoppers bustled to and fro in preparation for the morn. The commute was lengthy, and he was tired from a long day, but that was made all the worthwhile as he was eagerly received at the door by his loving wife and children. Scrooge, took his usual melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern before heading home. He lived in chambers that had once belonged to his late partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms, and the yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. Therefore, I would let anyone explain to me, if they can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without it undergoing any process of change, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not in impenetrable shadow as the other objects of the yard were, but had a dismal light about it. It was not angry or ferocious by any means, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on his ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by breath or hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That and its livid color made it horrible, but its horror seemed to be in spite of the face and beyond its control rather than a part of its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly on the phenomenon, it was a knocker again. To say he was not startled would be untrue, but still he entered his place of residence and lighted his candle. He did pause at the door in question, with a moment's irresolution, and he did look behind it at first, as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtails sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door, except the screws and nuts that held the knocker on. So he said, Bah! and closed it with a bang. He then double-locked himself in, which was not his custom. The chambers were dank and dark, but darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it. Scrooge began his nightly routine of changing into his dressing gown and settling in over a low fire. As he threw his head back in his chair, his glance happened upon a bell that hung in the room. To Scrooge's astonishment and dread, this disused bell, its purpose long forgotten, began to swing. Soon the soft ring and swing had increased to a deafening volume and a fervent pace before they stopped. The fire blew out. Scrooge had scarcely collected himself when he began to hear a clanking noise from deep below. Almost as if someone were dragging a heavy chain. The sound drew nearer and grew louder until finally a booming voice cried out, Scrooge! Scrooge sprung up from his chair as the voice cried out again. Scrooge! With a gust of wind, the door flew open and a figure moved. Marley. The same face. The very same. In his usual waistcoat, tights and boots. Only now he carried with him a heavy chain round his waist. And a ghostly aura hung round him. Scrooge, his eyes wide, managed to say, How's this? What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me, 
who I was. Who were you? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. You don't believe me? Observe the ghost. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing might affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach can make them cheat. You might be a bit of undigested beef, a blot of mustard, a fragment of an undone potato. Yes, there's more of gravy than of grave about you. <laughs> the ghost released a wicked laugh that rattled his chains and in turn disturbed the very marrow in Scrooge's bones. Mercy! Dreadful apparition! Why do you walk the earth? And why do you trouble me? It is required of every person that their spirit should walk abroad among their fellow mortals and travel far and wide. And if that spirit does not go forth in life, it is condemned to do so in death and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared and turned to happiness. Oh, woe is me! You are fettered, Scrooge said, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it, link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled all the more. Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as long and heavy as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Jacob, old friend, please speak comfort to me. I have none to give. I have little time. I cannot rest. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of a money-changing hole. And weary journeys lie before me. No rest. No peace. Incessant torture and remorse. Oh, not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunity misused. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. The specter's chains rattled. Business? Humankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Oh, why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down? Hear me. My time is nearly done. I will, Jacob. Why do you seek me? I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance I have procured for you, Ebenezer. You have always been a good friend. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. You will be visited by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. In that case, I think I'd rather not... Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. 
There is no light part of my penance. Expect the first, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't they all come at once and have it over with Jacob? Marley and his chain drifted to the door which he came. Expect the second, when the bell tolls two. And the last, when the bell tolls three. Look to see me no more. And for your sake, take care that you remember what has passed between us. And he was gone. Drained, Scrooge fell into an immediate but fitful sleep. He tossed and he turned before awaking with a start in his cold, dark room. He sat up and looked around. Was it a dream then? The hour itself, and nothing else. But before his head hit the pillow, a figure appeared at the foot of his bed. A translucent, glowing specter, who seemed to be a beautiful child, but with the wisdom of ages. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am, said the spirit in a voice that was soft and gentle. Who and what are you? I am the spirit of Christmas past. Long past? No. Your past. What brings you here? Your welfare. I can't think of anything more conductive to my welfare than a night of uninterrupted sleep. Your reclamation, then. Take heed. Rise. The spirit led Scrooge to the window. But, spirit, I am mortal and will fall. With a touch of my hand, you shall fly. Scrooge tentatively placed his hand on the spirit's tiny illuminated fingertips and was thus transported to a Christmas long, long ago. The dark city had vanished and was taken over by an idyllic country scene in winter. A cold, clear day where distant caroling could be heard. Good heavens! I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Scrooge was swept up by the scene, suddenly aware of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares, long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? What's what? Oh, nothing. Scrooge could not disguise his slight weeping. It must be a pimple. Lead me where you would, spirit. Do you remember the way? Remember the way? I could walk it blindfolded. Strange. To have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. As they walked along the road, Scrooge recognized every gate, post, and tree. Soon, they came upon a group of boys laughing and joking as they headed home for the holiday. Why, that's David Masterson! And Robert, my best friend! Hello, boys! Hello! But the boys continued to scurry around and pay him no mind. These are merely shadows of the things that have been. They can neither see nor hear you. Let us go on. The spirit led Scrooge to the schoolhouse, where they observed one solitary boy, seated at a small school desk. His head was sadly hunched over a book. The school is not quite deserted. There seems to be one boy, alone and abandoned by his friends. Do you know this boy, Ebenezer? Scrooge knew. He watched himself grow older in that room, each year a little colder and a little sadder. My mother passed giving birth to my sister, Fan. After that, my father had no interest in us coming home for the holiday. Let us see another Christmas. Years passed, and Scrooge was a young man. Dear, dear brother. A vibrant little girl burst in, throwing her arms around him. Fan, little Fan, how you've grown. I've come to bring you home, dear brother. To bring you home, home, home. Home, little Fan? Yes, home, forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. So I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home, and he said that you should. So pack your things. You'll never have to spend another moment here. 
Your sister was a frail creature, but she had a large heart. So she had. She died a young woman. And had children, I think. Yes. One child. A son. My nephew Fred. Yes. Your nephew Fred. The only family you have left. Yes. That is true. Come. It is time to see another Christmas. They arrived at a warehouse door, behind which they heard much mirth and merriment. Scrooge beamed. Do you know this place, Ebenezer? Know it? Of course! I was apprenticed here. This was Fezziwig's factory. And from the sound of it, his annual Christmas party is in full swing. Please let's go in. And in full swing it was. There was music and dancing and drinking and food galore. Yo-ho, my boys! No more work tonight! Merry Christmas, Ebenezer! <laughs> A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Well, what is all the fuss? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark. He then spoke unconsciously at that, as his former self. It isn't that, Spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. The happiness he gives us is worth a fortune, he felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter? Nothing in particular. Something, I think. I should just like to say a word or two to my clerk just now, that's all. Come. My time grows short, and there is one more shadow we must see. Yet again, Scrooge saw himself, older this time, but in the prime of his life. His face not as hardened as in later years, but was beginning to show the signs of avarice. He was sitting next to a beautiful young woman. Spirit, no, please not this Christmas. Please, I beg you, anything but this. Look, I know it matters little to you. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can make you as happy as I would have tried to do, I have no reason to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. Spirit, show me no more. Why do you enjoy torturing me? I told you. These are the shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Now there is a double standard. There is nothing on which is so hard as poverty, yet it condemns the pursuit of wealth just as harshly. You fear the world too much. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until only one remained. Gain. It engrosses you, Ebenezer. Even if I have grown wiser and more astute, I have not changed in my affections for you, have I? Oh, Ebenezer, our promise to each other was an old one and has been long forgotten. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so as long as we had each other. When it was made, you were another man. You... You are changed. Tell me, if you were to meet me now, a poor dowerless, would you marry me? You think not. <laughs> I would gladly think otherwise if I could. You may be sad now, but I have no doubt you will dismiss the thought of me very soon. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Please, spirit, I beg you, take me away from here. I can bear no more, no more. And as quickly as he had departed, Scrooge was returned to his chambers, where he sank into a deep, dreamless sleep. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that
that looking out of the bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque wall of his chamber. Scrooge knew the second of the spirits was due to appear. Nothing? <laughs> Scrooge! Ebenezer Scrooge! Scrooge turned to see a festively decorated table overflowing with a spectacularly scrumptious feast. At the head of the table, upon a throne of twinkling lights decked with mistletoe, sat a statuesque figure draped in an emerald green robe trimmed with white fur. A wreath of holly adorned her head. She smiled broadly to Scrooge, who approached. Come, come here and know me better, man. I am the spirit of Christmas present. I take it you have never seen the likes of me before, eh? <laughs> Scrooge, in awe, replied. No, never. Over 1,800 of my brothers and sisters have come before me. Have you never met any of them? Over 1,800? Tremendous family to provide for, spirit. <laughs> Indeed, indeed, my friend. Well, did I mention that I am the spirit of Christmas present? Yes, spirit, you have just told me. The spirit's laugh was infectious, and Scrooge felt at ease. Ah! Uh, oh, you see, my mind is full with the here and now. And the here and now is that it is the night before Christmas Day. Come, take hold of my robe. We have much to see. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkeys, puddings, fruit, and punch all vanished instantly, along with the warmly lit room and the hour of night, and onto the streets of London. Why have we come to this unseemly corner of the town? Because it is Christmas here, too. Look, it's your clerk, Bob Cratchit's home. This is Bob Cratchit's home? The house was small, but made up for in warmth of spirit. Peeking in the windows, the spirit and Scrooge watched Mrs. Cratchit and the children bustling about, preparing for their meager feast of goose. Mrs. Cratchit was dressed out, but poorly, in a twice-turned gown, covered in ribbons, which are cheap, and make a goodly show for sixpence. Hurry, children. Your father and Tiny Tim will be home soon. After a moment's thought, Scrooge said, Spirit, I wonder... Why you, of all the beings in the many worlds about us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment? Ah, uh, cried the spirit. You would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, often on the only day they can be said to be dying at all. And you seek to close these places on the seventh day, and it comes to the same thing. Ah, uh, seek? Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family. There are some upon this earth of yours who lay claim to know us, and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us and all our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that, and charge their doing to themselves, not us. Good King Wenceslaus looked out on the festive Stephen. <coughs> I had no idea Cratchit had a crippled son. I wonder why. Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim were greeted as kings, and the children scurried their brother away to sit by the fire with them. And how did little Tim behave in church? As good as gold and better. He has become so thoughtful from sitting by himself so much, and thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bob Cratchit's voice trembled as he said this, and trembled more when he said, Tim is growing up strong and hearty. Tiny Tim's active little crutch could be heard on the floor as he played with his siblings, causing Scrooge to comment. A remarkable child. Tell me, spirit, will the boy live? I see a vacant seat at this table and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, kind spirit, please say he will be spared. 
Well, what then? If he is likely to die, then he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head at hearing his own cruel words echoed back at him. You use my own words against me. Yes, in hope that in the future perhaps you will hold your tongue and not only learn who the surplus population is and where they are, but to care for them as you would yourself. All humans carry a spark of the divine and should be regarded as such. Dear ones, a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of our feast. Founder of the feast indeed. I wish he was here. I would give him a piece of my mind. My darling, the children, Christmas Day. Only on Christmas Day would I ever drink to the health and happiness of such a stingy, hard, and unfeeling man as he. No one knows it better than you, Bob. Please, dear, have a little charity. Oh, all right. I'll drink to his health for your sake and the day's sake. A long life to him. I have no doubt he will be very merry indeed and very happy. (laughs) To Mr. Scrooge. (coughs) To Mr. Scrooge. God bless us, everyone. (laughs) God bless us, everyone. God bless us. (coughs) I think it's time for a a Christmas carol. What shall we sing, my sweet? Hark the herald angels sing. Come, my time grows short and we have more to see. Scrooge wished to stay at the Cratchits, but reluctantly took hold of the spirit's robe and was transported to another home. Ah, this must be my nephew Fred's party. How many friends he has, and that must be his new wife. Oh, thank you for bringing me here. Unseen to the boisterous group, Scrooge joined them to see what they were laughing so heartily about. And then he said that Christmas was a humbug. He really believed it, too. Oh, shame on him, Fred. Oh, he is but a comical old fellow, as unpleasant as he is. And besides, his offenses carry their own punishment. I have nothing to say against him. Fred has invited him to every holiday, and he has never once even expressed the slightest interest in attending. And I will give him the same chance every year I live, whether he likes it or not. (laughs) Oh, and all of that money. Oh, what difference does his money make? His wealth is of no use to him. He just squirrels it away. Doesn't even use it to make himself comfortable. Well... I, for one, have no pity for him. Oh, I have. I feel so sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers most from his cruelty? Himself. Especially when he misses out on a feast such as this. Anyway, he has given us a good laugh, so we should at least drink to his health. Here's to Uncle Scrooge. To To Uncle Uncle Scrooge. Scrooge! Typically, I would take offence to any ribbing at my expense, but this time I am inclined to overlook it. Scrooge said with a sad smile. Ha <laughs> ha! What a gentleman you are! As Scrooge hung his head, he noticed something moving underneath the spirit's robe. Forgive me, spirit, but I see something odd protruding from underneath your robe. Is it a, a foot? Or a claw? The spirit drew aside her robe to reveal two frightening figures. Children, a boy and a girl. Both feral and ragged in appearance, with haunting gazes fixated on him. Scrooge struggled to find words. Are they yours? No, they are yours. They belong to humankind. This boy is ignorance, and this girl is want. Beware of them both, but especially the boy whose brow bears the word doom, unless it is to be erased. Have they no refuge or resource? The spirit's hair began to turn white, and she appeared more translucent than before. Are there no prisons? The spirit turned Scrooge's words against him one last time. Are there no workhouses? 
the spirit faded away and was replaced by a cascade of sprawling dark smoke, which parted to reveal a sinister, towering, cloaked figure. Where its head should be, there was only a gaping black vortex. Two bony hands were held in front. I take it that I'm in the presence of the spirit of Christmas is yet to come? The figure slowly nodded. And you are to show me shadows of things that have not happened but will happen in the time before us? The spirit extended one hand to point ahead. Spirit, I must admit I fear you more than any spectre I have met. Will you not speak? The spirit offered no response, save for the one hand extended, pointing straight ahead. Lead on then, the night is passing fast and it is precious time to me. Scrooge followed the spectre as it stalked slowly forward to a small group of brokers. I know these men. This is the stock exchange. A second home to me. I don't know much about it. Only that he is dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. I thought he would never go What has he done with his money? Don't know. Left it to his company, perhaps. All I know is that he hasn't left it to me. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose it will be a cheap funeral. I can't think of anyone who will go. Maybe we should round up a group of volunteers. I'll go. If lunch is provided. (laughs) (laughs) Scrooge looked to the spirit for guidance as he was unsure why they would be listening in on such trivial conversations. Surely they could not be discussing the death of Marley. Spirit strode forward and they entered a small meeting house. There sat a greasy old woman surrounded by equally greasy friends. All right, who's next? What do we have here? Ah, what do you call this? Blankets? Cheap as anything? You didn't have to take these with him still lying there, did you? Why not? He won't be needing them to keep warm. (laughs) Check out this shirt. Pure silk. No holes or tears or nothing. Good thing I got it, else they would have wasted it. How so? By burying a minute. Ah, I'll give you four pounds and two cents, but nothing more. Thank you, thank you. Funny thing is, he frightened everyone away from him when he was alive. Only to profit us now that he's dead. Spirit? What dreadful people! Have they no decency or decorum? This is a fearful place, but... I see. I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life turns that way now. Is that why you show me this scene? I beg of you. Show me some emotion, some tenderness connected to this man's death. I have only seen pleasure. The spirit put its bony hand on Scrooge's shoulder, and they were at the familiar front door of Bob Cratchit's home. Bob Cratchit's home. Oh, spirit, thank you for bringing me here. But Scrooge quickly realized this was not the home he had witnessed with the previous spirit. It was quiet. Very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were still as statues in the corner. Mother, will father be home soon? I think he has walked a little slower than he used to these past few evenings, dear. I have known him to walk very fast with Tiny Tim on his shoulders. Very fast indeed, but he was very light to carry, and your father loved him so. It it was no trouble, no trouble at all. Oh, there he is at the door. Bob Cratchit embraced his children and his wife, trying to keep a brave face. Did you go again today, my dear? I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. But you'll see it often. I promised him I would walk there on a Sunday. (laughs) My little, little child. But 
And guess who I ran into today? <clears throat> Fred Hollowell, Mr. Scrooge's nephew. I met him on the street. He saw I was looking a little down and, well, he's the most pleasant man I have ever met. <laughs> he expressed his deepest condolences and pledged to be of any service to us. The way he spoke about Tiny Tim, it was as if he knew him. And once again, the spirit and Scrooge were alone, this time in a graveyard. Spirit, something tells me the moment of our parting is at hand. Tell me, the man who was spoken of, the man who died, who was he? The spirit pointed ahead. The house is yonder. Why do you point this way? Here is where the wretched man, whose name he would soon learn, lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, walled in by houses and overrun by grass and weeds. The spirit, amongst the graves, pointed down to one. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, please answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may only be? Still, the spirit pointed down to the grave. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if preserved in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. The spirit was as immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards the grave, trembling as he went, and followed the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave, his own name. Ebenezer Scrooge? Am I that man who lay upon that bed? No, spirit. Oh, no, no. Scrooge clutched at the spirit's robes. Good spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been before this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honour Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an altercation in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed and dwindled down to a bedpost. Yes! And the bedpost was his own! The bed was his own! The room was his own! Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends with. He quickly scrambled out of bed. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. But what day is today? You down there! Young man! Scrooge yelled from his window to a young boy on the street. Me? Yes, you. What day is it today, my fine fellow? Today, today is Christmas Day, sir. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Well, of course they can do anything they like. <laughs> of course they can. Hello again, my fine fellow. Yes, sir. Do you know the poulterers on the next street on the corner? I sure hope I do. An intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Do you know whether they have that prized turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little one, but the big prize turkey. The one that is as big as me? What a delightful boy. It is a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, that one. It is hanging there now. It is. Go and buy it. Police! <laughs> I am earnest, my friend. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here and I will give them directions of where to take it. There is half a crown in it for you. And the boy was off like a shot. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. Scrooge said, rubbing his hands and splitting with a laugh. <laughs> it is twice the size of Tiny Tim. Hello! Within minutes, the boy had returned with the poulterer and the turkey. Oh, wonderful, thank you. Merry Christmas to you both. It will be impossible to carry that to Camden Town. I will get you a cab. This turkey is to be delivered immediately to the home of Bob Cratchit and his lovely family. Here is the address and the money for the cab and the turkey. Thank you, sir. And money for the delivery. Thank you, sir. And, of course, a tip for you. Thank you, sir. 
And here is half a crown for you, my boy, as promised. Thank you, sir. Scrooge proceeded to dress in his finest and spread cheer to shocked onlookers on the bustling streets as he headed to his nephew's home, who, as you can imagine, was shocked, but delighted to see him in such high spirits. Why, hello, uncle. Merry Christmas, my dear nephew. I hope I am not intruding, but I wanted to apologize for the poor reception I gave you. Not only yesterday, but for most of your young life. I have always seen the image of my sister in your face. I loved her very much. And she you. Thank you, uncle. She wished until her dying day that we should always be close. And so we are, Fred. And so shall we be. I was hoping I could take you up on your invitation to dinner this evening, if that is still an option. Fred embraced his uncle and welcomed him inside. The next day, Scrooge sat at his desk, waiting for his clerk to appear. He could barely contain his joy as he feigned a scowl as he walked through the door. He growled. Bob Cratchit. Morning, sir. You are late. What do you mean, coming here at this hour? I am deeply sorry, sir. I, I am behind on my time. Although it is no excuse. Christmas is only once a year. <laughs> I was making rather merry with my family yesterday. I assure you it will not be repeated. Cratchit, I will not stand for this any longer. Scrooge menaced towards the clerk before breaking into an illuminating smile. You have been grossly mistreated and underappreciated by me, but I intend to make up for it. For starters, I am doubling your salary. A Merry Christmas to you. And from now on, I will endeavour to help you and your family in any way that I can. And as for your tiny Tim, he will be walking again in no time. Of this I am certain. Now, come with me and we will discuss everything over lunch before I send you home for the rest of the day. <laughs> Bob Cratchit was aghast, speechless and in utter disbelief. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he became a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the city knew. He had no further communication with the spirits, and it was said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well all the year through. May that be truly said of us, and of all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God, God bless, bless us, us, everyone. everyone. The end.